The, f the first thing I need to do is apologize for, for what you're hearing now, because um, it is the first, the first occasion that I have contracted the very, very serious disease called cooing disease. Cooing disease. I've not, this one hasn't quite um, reached the mainstream in the way that one or other two infectious viruses have recently. Well, there'll there'll be ENT specialists out there who are who are very well versed in cooing disease. This is this is the d disease suffered by a first time parent who um, discovers a different part of their voice that they have not cultivated at any point during their uh, adult post for a man post puberty life. Um, <coughs> but this would this would suggest, Hugh, that you've not been cooing sufficiently at the children of the people that you know and that are closest to you. Yes, that's absolutely right. So I your been... brother has children. I have yeah. children. Rory has a child. Chinch has a grandchild. No, no levels of you cooing. Should have, you should have warmed into it. So I, I obviously coo using my either high head voice or full falsetto voice. And in doing so, I have clearly overstretched vocal cords that are currently not chiming particularly well. So have you been Bee Gees cooing? I've been Bee Gees cooing uh, in three part close harmony throughout the first five months of my uh, my son's life. And um, I would like to apologize because it doesn't sound very good. And I'm going to make people suffer because there will be parts of this podcast where they have to listen to me sounding like this. So apologies. Well, you haven't apologised for your voice at any point during the previous 250-odd episodes, so I don't know why you're starting now. It has, of course, been brought on by the fact that I've had a small cold, um, and there would, there would never be any suggestion that, that, that cooing disease can be prompted by, you know, just cooing. It has to be triggered uh, by a small cold, which I have lateral flowed the hell out of, just in case anybody's worrying. This has nothing to do with the fact that you've been released back into the wild for a first corporate gig in the best part of two years. <laughs> at which the booze was free and flowing freely. Um, the, there, there was, I'm sure, free booze, but it's absolutely because of that, because essentially I've overextended myself because I have no understanding of my new levels of stamina. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me for now is Stephen Wyeth, who on Saturday commentated on what everyone should now appreciate is the benchmark, the standard for entertaining Premier League matches, Burnley against Crystal Palace. Rory is so ashamed of how wrong that he has been in the past, using it instead as an example of irrelevance that he has taken a holiday. And Chinch is being a very good husband and son-in-law as the family deals with some health issues, so his absence is very understandable, and we wish all involved very well. And um, Now, obviously, nobody values the opinions of just Steve and I. After all, we are very much the Burnley and Crystal Palace of the podcast. <laughs> have uh, invited two guests, which is something that I'm particularly uh, grateful for, uh, considering how I sound. Joining us on the pod today in a few short minutes are Connor McNamara and Peter Drury. Fitting because it allows us to have what will hopefully be an informative conversation about commentary involving three professional commentators, and I'll therefore be able to take a back seat. And also because Peter is very much and very regularly chinch adjacent, while Connor is the only other person we know to attempt Rabona's as often as Rory in small-sided football games. My, my pen is at the ready, by the way, for the expertise that is to follow. But if okay. we are the Burnley and Crystal Palace of set-piece menu, I like to think at the very least I'm the Maxwell Cornet volley of Burnley versus Crystal Palace. Stephen, that is outsizing your influence greatly. Um, so we're going to have a conversation about uh, commentary. I, I used to be a commentator, but realised I was rubbish at it and uh, kind of bailed in my early 30s. Very important for the listening public. Stephen, you were actually good at it, so you carried on doing it. But we want, we've had a conversation about commentary before, but you wanted to expand upon those ideas with some of the, two of the, not three, two of the greatest exponents of the game. Yeah, well, I, I suppose I can set the scene from what I believe is the responsibility of the role, but everyone approaches it slightly differently and, and Peter and Connor will have their own opinions. But for me, I guess we're an accompaniment to the game. We're, we're part of the, the footballing soundtrack. I think that's why, first and foremost, your voice, your ability to control it, your ability to provide light and shade are so vitally critical to to the audience and to your employers that we we're very much there to to enhance the game rather than detract from it. I think that is vital. 
Only add when you're able to do so. Tell the story of the game, of course, but don't force the narrative and give the context to the to the critical moments, to those those big match-winning occasions, the exceptional goals. And a great bit of advice I received once that, you know, you're a bit like the referee. If those watching don't notice you too much, then then hopefully you've you've had a good game, you've done okay. And then, of course, you have to deliver information accurately, concisely, and at the appropriate moments. That, again, enhances the viewing experience. And appreciate, Hugh, the, the critical role, the privileged role you have as far as the audience are concerned. You're, you're very much their eyes in particular, if it's a radio commentary, and there to represent, I guess, the, the supporter if it's a radio or a TV commentary, you, you earn your audience's trust over time. And, and I think the familiarity with you contributes to the acceptance of you. And it is ability and hard work that gets you to that point. And I think that's why our two guests today are amongst the very, very best. Well, I should have borrowed your pen because I should have written all of that down because that was excellent. Um, so that is the football. Uh, the food is vocal zones and bronco stops currently being taken regularly by me and essential uh, for a football commentator, particularly around this sort of time. I always used to, during a season of commentaries, use, lose my voice um, at the beginning of December. So here we are. I am in concert with my previous self. Uh, Connor and Peter will join us just after the further ado, which is now. You can get in touch with the podcast via setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We start with an email from John Stansfield. Hello, Loton, me, Tarkovsky and Taylor. Excellent and, and very time sensitive. Indeed. I hope this email finds you as well as can be. I'll start off by saying how much I enjoy your podcast. I should say this was sent in before the weekend. Even better. Glorious. Um, it's a joy to hear football spoken about in both such lofty and derisive tones and rare that such nuance can be found as well as dismissed in this complicated beast we call football. I'm getting in contact for what has become an ongoing joke, which is frankly missing the mark. The match between Crystal Palace and Burnley has become shorthand on the pod for something nobody wants to watch. And as a season ticket holder at Turf Moor, I can completely understand why this might be so. But the game that you initially referred to was a 3-0 away win for the Mighty Clarets in which Matthew Lowton scored an excellent solo-ish goal on the 13th of February this year. A match in which Burnley completely dominated admittedly very poor Palace and one of our few games in which we have scored more than one goal away from home. I usually listen whilst driving so I've not had the chance to reply whenever the match has been referenced in the same eight months since taking place but it baffles me why you haven't chosen one of the many many oh so many Burnley games against the likes of West Brom, Newcastle or the absolute stinker we had against Norwich the other week. We play badly a lot but to continually dredge up what, what was quite an enjoyable afternoon's watch is becoming quite grating. I have zero beef with referencing Burnley's robust style as something most don't want to watch, but to pick out that game is to ignore what was one of the goals of the season in a match well won by a team not known for either their goals or the goodness of them. Sorry to go on about this, but this has been building for eight months and I just needed to get it off my chest. Again, keep up the good work. I will continue to listen on my delivery route and hope that the next time my club are referenced, it is for the dire performance we put in against West Brom that took place one week after the Palace game in which the doomed baggies were down to 10 men after 30 minutes and still managed to be the more dangerous team. All the best from John Stansfield. Well, John, I believe that Stephen has a response for you. Well, John, having done Burnley's last two home games for match of the day, during which they played extraordinarily well in the first half against both Brentford and more recently against Crystal Palace, I now have incredibly high hopes for Burnley versus Watford in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and we're just going to do another one, um, and this comes from Jack Spedding, uh, whose name you may well recognise because he says, Dear Bart, Milhouse, Nelson and Ralph. Feel that one may have been done before. It may well have been Jack. We don't tend to remember. I'm writing this sat on my train back to Castleford following your excellent live show at the National Football Museum. A solid evening of fun all around. I am the Villa fan who asked about whingy fans. Yes, who I called Zach, which is extraordinary that I now know his name is Jack. And I'm annoyed at myself for not saying this point at the time, instead just sort of mumbling some nonsense, sometimes with a mic and sometimes without. Why I think some fans get whingy quicker is because they want to see progress. They want to believe that they're going to do even better than last year. The modern fan, and to be honest, person in general, cannot bear the thought that their team may waste a year finishing even one or two places lower. Take Nuno at Wolves. He got a decent team 
to finish seventh twice in a row. And Wolves fans, to my knowledge, didn't really complain that they were dull as dishwater to watch. However, the season after they finished 13th and the indignity of finishing below Newcastle United of all teams, and of, all of a sudden, he's no longer wanted. Villa seemed to be another example. They finished 11th after tailing off following a terrific start. All of a sudden, they lose four in a row, and all of a sudden, there's a desire for change. Never mind the fact that our best player by a million miles has gone. We have new players, injuries, and need to play a new style in the absence of said unnamed hairband-wearing maverick. In some fans' eyes, a man who was once one of our own and the man to bring the good times back is now yesterday's news. Hope this explains my point better than I tried to at the live show. Keep up the excellent work and please try and do more live shows if possible. I'm sure the turnout in West Yorkshire would be plentiful. Needs a lot of Whittington Smiths to arrive at that one to make that one a financial concern worth considering. Uh, thanks again and take care all Jack Spedding. Now I included that, Stephen, because of what has happened since the live show and since the email, which of course is Dean Smith, has been replaced for many of the reasons articulated rather presciently by Jack. Jack's not the only person involved in the live show that man didn't manage to get across his points as he, he would have wished. Some of those sat on the stage, came away feeling the same way. I think he's absolutely correct. And that short termism is, is still something that arguably blights the game. How Steven Gerrard succeeds as Aston Villa manager, we don't yet know. Only time will tell. It does seem extraordinary that a man who, not just because he's a, a Villa fan, but the job that Dean Smith did taking over with the club in the position they were, hauling them into the playoffs when they were so far short of it, even at Easter of, of their promotion season, and then to, to keep them in the Premier League for, for two successive campaigns, that would seem enough to get you credit in the bank to survive a run of five successive defeats. And in terms of the point made about Nuno, I absolutely agree with that. that although that was a relationship that perhaps felt a little bit more as though it had run its course. But we have often discussed, haven't we, how little there is to choose between the teams that finish maybe 8th and 14th in the Premier League, perhaps even further down. And it amazes me that, that fans and, and club owners don't recognise with a little more clarity how little margin for error there is in terms of the gap between those places in, in the Premier League. Correspondence of any kind to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now, back in December 2018, SPM 107 was about commentary. Although, to pull back the curtain on the pre-production meetings or WhatsApp messages at the time, we felt like we needed to ease off on the authoritative pronouncements on account of the fact that as far as commentary went, you had one person who'd done a few hundred completely rushed, shouty games on local radio in his 20s, and another who was just making his first steps into the world of match of the day. Three years on, we still have one person who's done a few hundred rushed, shouty games on local radio, but we now have, as Burnley 3, Crystal Palace 3 proved, a high-profile, accomplished match of the day commentator. As it turns out, that's still not enough to be able to talk about commentary as if we've got it nailed, so we've decided to bring in some big guns. Or alternatively, Stephen has texted a couple of his mates slash colleagues to see if they can spend half an hour gazing at all available navels. But <laughs> there is at least genuine international level class here where international level actually means the best because joining us are two people that are genuinely global and also alongside set piece menu. And this is by no means a contrast nominated for a Football Supporters Association Award, which for them, unlike us, is an award that they can actually win. So will you please welcome this is this is the kind of build up that requires a studio audience, but we haven't got one. So you're just going to have to imagine the throng. Connor McNamara and Peter Drury. And we are honored that this is the case that they have joined us because this is a particularly busy week. Um, so first of all, uh, Peter has lent us half an hour on a big prep day, uh, and we've had to wait for Connor to finish voicing a parrot in Swashbuckle, which is a children's television program in the UK. So, hey, it's a priority, right? You've got to pay the bills. I'm, I'm assuming you're syndicated. Are you syndicated in the US, Connor, as well? Oh, Do you know? The whole lot. US, Australia, you oh, name wow. it. global, proper global. Do they not yeah, read exactly. up Connor in North America? And, uh, g'day, g'day, mate. Why have you never, never been a, a cartoon character of any sort, Peter? I think I might have been. Oh, really? Yeah, I think, yeah, some, some, I can't remember, but I might have been, but probably I'm not as good a cartoon as Connor. You know, you've got to, you've got to accept your own shortcomings and limitations. Oh, well, that, that, that is, uh, 
Yes, beautifully self-effacing. Thank you uh, to at least one of you. Um, we're going to we're going to have a conversation because the first time we spoke about this, we kind of did the nuts and bolts, if you like. Stephen introduced to our audience the, the 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 way that a commentator works, and we had Andy with us that day, and he was able to tell us how the co-commentator dovetails with the commentator. But what we wanted to do a little bit today is to kind of pull back the curtain, if we can, and and to have a conversation which reflects some of the stuff that 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 is misunderstood about a commentator now peter you're not on social media so you don't get both barrels of idiocy coming at you on a daily basis connor you do and are um so it's it's kind of we'll play a game called what you don't know about commentary and we refer to you being the audience so peter perhaps given that you're on a big prep day today we could start with what you don't know about commentary is the commentators have to spend a day prepping so what's what's your what's your routine on a big prep day? Given that you've got what Champions well, League matches all week and Europa League yeah, matches. Funnily enough, Hugh, um, this is this is kind of atypical because, as you rightly said at the start, we we are going into a period which is beyond normal. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I I have games coming up now in the various competitions: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we've just had an international fortnight, during which actually. I piled up all of the preparation I could possibly do for every game I'm doing up until Boxing Day, maybe just beyond, so that when I come to the games on a daily basis, I can top them up statistically. So I've spent the last fortnight in a darkened room, really, <laughs> in order that it becomes a logistical possibility to get through the rest of November and December. Oddly enough, this morning, we're talking, aren't we, uh, Monday lunchtime. This morning, I've spent a couple of hours on my game for next Saturday because it's Arsenal against Newcastle and neither of them are playing in Europe. So I can get Arsenal and Newcastle statistically polished off now. After I finish talking to you, I will get stuck into uh, Juventus against Chelsea, which I'm doing for CBS tomorrow, and get that done and hopefully get a bit of Tottenham and NS Moura who everybody knows everything about already anyway, so you don't really need to say anything about that uh, before the end of the day. And somehow tomorrow morning, I'll put aside a couple of hours for Real Madrid and Sheriff Tiraspol, which Steve did so brilliantly the first leg of uh, back oh, earlier yes. in the Champions League. Uh, so I'll be watching his excellent work to make sure that I know who all the Sheriff Tiraspol players are. Oh, well, that's uh, so brilliant. Anyway, it's just a blur of football matches. That's all it is. That's fantastic because Stephen basically just copies everything that you do. So it's good that uh, you have an opportunity to, to, to copy him. Connor, does that ring true? Now, now, Connor and Chinch will testify to this because he's stolen the idea, as did I very briefly before I realised that I was rubbish at it. Connor has the, um, the much venerated sticker technique. So if you've got the amount of games that Peter's got coming up, you need a whole new role of stickers no you do um i do compare being a football commentator it's, it's like being a turkey farmer at christmas you know it's like it, it, you suddenly find there's loads of work to do and you find you know we, we need to pack all this in but absolutely no complaints um yeah the the, the prep is, is it's definitely the sort of most important part of the job and what i always say to people is that the well, for whatever reason, if you show up at a game and you haven't done enough prep, you don't enjoy that game. So like, even if it's a really exciting match, you're always struggling a little bit. Whereas when you've, when you've done the work and you know that you've, you, you, you've prepared correctly, then you really enjoy the game, even if it's not a great game, because you feel you're in control. I've, I've sort of got this. Um, yeah, the stickers thing was the thing I started up when I was, uh, you know, right at the start beginning it, because, you know, we, we don't get the teams until an hour or so before kickoff, the same as everyone else, pretty much. We sometimes get a little bit of a sneak preview these days. But I think back in the old days, commentators might have had little winks and nods to managers and get phone calls and be given teams days in advance. And that, that, that rarely happens unless you've got a, a very solid personal relationship. But, you know, I, I would still say rarely happens these days. So what I thought at the start was, you know, I want to lay out the players in their positions, a la sticker albums when I was a kid or computer games or whatnot, but I don't know who's going to be playing. So you can't write it all out last minute. So what I would do is write, and originally I used to write them on stickers and I've ended up, you know, typing it out now. But then once I get the team's formations, I can stick the players, the goalkeeper at the top, then the back four, then the midfield, whatever the formation is. And it just makes it easy during the game. You know, when you know it's the right back, when you glance down at your sheets, that the right back is in the position where the right back should be. And then obviously when substitutes come on in the game, I can stick a new sticker over the, the player that's come on to replace. So it's kind of the system I'm stuck with now, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm sure if I was <laughs> starting at the, the pun, beginning yeah. with a, a, a sort of a blank slate, I would come up with a more, you know, a more modern solution, I, I guess. 
But um, but yeah, it's the system I have now and uh, that I'm far too long in the tooth to be going changing it. No, Connor's <laughs> right. It's very difficult once, you, once you've got something that works for you to, to change it, even if there's logic keeps telling you yeah. that there are alternatives available. And I've, I've actually um, taken Connor's principle of the stickers and I, I have a, a PowerPoint presentation and I effectively have virtual stickers which i can move around Brilliant. but it's it can be quite laborious it's that, not that does, in any, it strikes in any fear into me though steve because what i always worry is that whatever device you've got that powerpoint on that that could fall on the ground mm. and crack or that could run out of power or like that that's what brings me out in a rash i like you know unless someone sets fire to my note like they would survive falling off a gantry you know? <laughs> well it, it, very very recently in fa cup qualifying rounds tie for the BBC on a makeshift exposed gantry in South <laughs> London with the wind and the rain coming in from all directions very very nearly put what you uh, put you put what you said into into practice uh, P- Peter what Connor says there about making sure that you are comfortable going into the game with your knowledge where's the sweet spot do you think between prepping and perhaps over prepping to the points where you're in danger of trying to drive the narrative? No, well, I, first of all, I completely identify with what Connor says. That is so true. You will you will put in your best performance if you are utterly comfortable with the game. And actually that plays in too. In fact, probably in television more than radio, and we've all done some of both, um, in television, that point of absolute comfort comes when you absolutely recognise as second nature every player who's on the field. So you're just able to say the names without thinking about it. If you're chasing your tail, and I'm sure it happens to a lot of us in European games and certainly in tournaments, the first game of the tournament, if you've suddenly got Slovakia against Senegal, you know, there is an extent to which you've got a team sheet in front of you and you're, you know, following it by numbers inevitably. And so there is a there is a beautiful comfort about knowing all the players. And that might sound very basic to people. I mean, that is, that is the first requirement. Um, but yes, it is possible to over, well, is it possible to over prepare? No, no, you can prepare to the nth degree. What you can become is over dependent on your preparation to the exclusion of describing the action um, and to the point of being frankly boring uh, because a lot of what you prepare is boring. Preparation is, um, is enabling you to articulate the game, be aware of all its dynamics, uh, all of its historical background and so on, so that if that becomes relevant, you are able to employ that information. Um, You know, you can have, as we all do, I'm sure, pages and pages of preparation. You probably only use a very small percentage of it. um, And it's there often as a comfort blanket as well. Um, the, The best games, very often the best games you have are the ones after which you can look back at your notes and thought, think, um, I barely used any of that because it was just a belting game that looked after itself. And and I, I say, you know, like Connor, people ask these these questions, especially young people who wanted to, to come into our business, you know, don't worry what your notes look like. They're not the flipping Magna Carta. You know, it's not some document. <laughs> Magna some Carta was pretty ugly, document. to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not a historical document. The notes are there for your benefit. Whether you do stickers or don't do stickers, whether you use pencil and rub it out, whether you use multiple colours, it really doesn't matter. It's for your benefit. Nobody else has to see them. It doesn't matter. They are a function of what you do or, you know, what you do is a function of them. I'm not sure. But either way, um, they're there for your benefit. And... Uh, it's nobody else's business. There you go. I mean, for me, the, the color coding is a big thing for me, but it's, it's absolutely not to make it look pretty. It's it's the finding the piece of information yeah. immediately. So, you know, anything to do with, say, red cards or discipline, I'll always put in red. So when I look down at a player and if I've got something in red, that means, you know, he was sent off against this opponent before or something like that. But but I have that at the end of a game, like I'll, I'll, I'll literally rip off because I sort of use this folder thing that I stick them onto and I like rip off the thing. And a few people have said to me, oh, like, do you not keep that? I was like, like for what purpose? You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's what's the word with computers that, you know, it's sort of expired um it's 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 not relevant anymore I, I did i mean just on this during the the the, the lockdown period of the behind closed doors i did a game tottenham against fulham which was called out for the last minute so obviously i'd done all this hard prep we're describing 
And then it was like, oh, you know, even when the game gets replayed, it's not going, you know, the things will have moved on and it, it all needs to be done again. But that was the one example where I sort of spent a lot of time doing prep in a game. And then a few weeks later, I did get to do the, the replayed fixture. So I, I came at it starting from a sort of almost finished notes and I went in again. And that was the one game, funny enough, and I, I know all of you guys will know Rob Nothwin, and I, I gave the game to Rob afterwards. I said, I wasn't happy with that. And he Rob's a, a colleague of ours who's he's sort of the, the horse whisperer of commentators. He, he listens and he picks out little things and he's brilliant. And he came back to me, he said, he said you were over-prepped for that game. And I said, do you know what? That makes such sense because I had sort of prepped it twice and I had too many little notes and anecdotes. And, and even what it was, and Peter's right about when a game is great, you don't look down. Because I prepped it twice, they were really drilled in my head. So I had little, you know, stuff that was coming out naturally, but too naturally. So I think that that's the only example I can think of when you could be too prepped. But, but you're right. I mean, you, you said comfort blanket, which is good, Peter. I always say safety net. You know, it's there if you need it, but but you hope you don't have to fall onto it. It's, it's interesting because Steve always talks about the, the prep being like if you're cramming for an exam and you have to sit the exam. I always think about it as being that that French oral GCSE where you're not particularly au fait, if you'll pardon, again, an awful pun with the language. And you, you, you start a sentence that you can't finish. Well, if you're well prepped or well versed in the language enough for your French oral, you'll be able to know where that sentence is going. You'll be able to complete it. There are not so many commentators who you can hear starting a sentence and then realising, oh, hang on a minute, I haven't done that bit of prep. <laughs> so I'm going to have to kind of... Or I can't find it. Yes, I, I snake off it, into something the, completely different. But, but also, do you know, that, that's where the whole Coleman balls thing comes from, what you've described there. But starting sentences you can't finish so you're, you're you've got some narrative you're exploring but then something happens in the game so you've got to get to the end of that sentence you've started so that you can move on to this new thing and you just need the, the quickest exit route you can find and that's where people will choose a slightly wrong phrase or a mixed <laughs> metaphor or something because they're trying to jump onto the next thing and of course when it's written down in print afterwards it makes it looks like you're having a stroke or something like what was this guy saying steve in there Yes, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Steve, Steve mentioned narrative, and this is something that comes up on the podcast all, all the time, because cr criticism that comes um, at the feet of co-commentators, but also commentators, is that they have inbuilt biases, which are then manifested in terms of a narrative. The narrative is not driven by what, what the game presents, certain, certainly by their opinions, but instead by what the commentator wants it to be. So, so both of you, but, but Peter, to start with, how, how do you try and put in some sort of self-awareness level so that you're making sure that if, if, for example, the game isn't particularly interesting, that you're not driving a narrative that isn't there just to try and either get through it or to try and provide more interest to what we're seeing? Um, I, I really don't think, and I understand the question, Hugh, I really do. I really don't think that in real terms is a problem. I think it's a perceived problem. You're right. But um, all of the guys and girls I know on the circuit would have preferences and biases and thoughts and perceptions and opinions. Um, but I think it's fair to say, I can only, of course, speak for myself, but I think it's fair to say of, of everybody that when you start to commentate on a football match, you compartmentalise, really. All of, all of your own preconceptions are put to one side. Uh, and you've got enough on to deal with articulating the game accurately, frankly. Um, of course, I suppose there can be subconscious issues which, which might or might not be there. I don't know. I haven't thought that deeply about it. But, but broadly speaking, you know, you can go to, um, I always explain this, you know, people ask the question, how are you when you're commentating on your team? Well, it's honestly not a problem. It's honestly not because you completely compartmentalize. They're well, not your they're, team at that moment. They're not your team. And you, and you go, people don't get this, but when you go to a, a match as a fan, as we all will have done, you go with your heart. When you go to a football match as a commentator, you go with your head. And never the twain shall meet. I, honestly, and people have to believe that. I, 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 you know, it, there's no point giving away teams here. It's not a state secret, but it just doesn't help the conversation. Um, I, I, a couple of years ago, did a very big cup quarterfinal that my team was involved in. Um, and I left home at breakfast time, said to my family, I will no longer be contributing to the WhatsApp group. <laughs> I have left my heart with you. I'm now going to work with my head. Went and did the game. As it happened, my little team won the game and it was a big, big win for my little team. And I did the game with Jermaine Genus. And at the end of the game, I put my microphone down and did a little fist pump. 
And he said, what's all that about? <laughs> and I said, well, my sons are up there and my wife's got a flag and my, you know, you know, uh, whatever. And um, Jermaine said, I would never have known. And I always, I always wear that as a badge and, and not as a badge because I knew it. I knew it, hmm. but I always I like to have that out there as proof that that is genuinely how it works. Um, so there you are. And I'm sure all of you would say the same. Yeah. And, and kind of just to follow up on that, because I think I think we would always and whenever we've had this conversation, we've we've built that very much into it, Peter. And, and you are singing from the, the the same hymn sheet as we have done countless occasions and it's really nice to, to, to hear you articulate it so well and better than we have ever done but but the, there's also that element isn't there Connor about about the not the the biased narrative in terms of who you support but also just because people assume things about you that are inherently incorrect and then base an opinion on your work of your work on that so yeah. they're starting not necessarily from foundation of truth they are starting from their own biases themselves and inflecting that on the, what they think about you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think look, we've all had the experience where you're watching a game and your team isn't doing so well. And and basically you you'll you will then impart that blame on anyone else. You know, it's it's because the referee or it's because the commentator or they don't want us to win. And I think people have this feeling that commentators can actually shift the narrative. I mean, the players and referees can't hear us while the game is going on. I think the best example I always they give could is, in lockdown. <laughs> so true. I, hated that. In, I remember the very first game I did behind closed doors at Carrow Road, which is extremely close position to where the I was doing radio game and the the subs warming up. You could just because and they're not used to being able to hear us either. It, it was terrible. I don't mind millions of people listening. I don't want people in real life listening to me. You know? <laughs> but, I um, Connor, I actually had um, again. It was a, an early FA Cup round a game, first or second round during lockdown, and and the director did actually say you're going to have to drop your voice a little bit when the play is on your side of the field because <laughs> the mics are picking up and the floor manager no. is seeing the reaction of those touchline <laughs> to what they perceive to be criticism. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, it's nice to be able to see your audience. I mean, frankly, <laughs> the totally. whites of their eyes, particularly if it's a left winger and they've just misplaced a pass. The, the, the point I was going to say about the, you know, your, the biases thing, the best example I can give, and I, I think it's always difficult with clubs, but you know, one thing that people want to see say is your, your country. But what I find when I when I commentate on Republic of Ireland game, like if a Republic of Ireland player goes down in the penalty area and he's you know he's not been fouled, I'm I'm not you know that that instinct that I've been there as a fan and I might have had a few beers before the game and you'll scream you know it's foul it's a penalty you know you, but but it, it, you know that that call as Peter said you're not there with your heart they're there with your head it it's an easy decision you either do think they were fouled or not you know you're you're not going to try and sway it, um and I think I, I think people. The best way I can give the example, I'm going to sound very unpatriotic saying this, but let's just say Republic of Ireland are playing against San Marino. Now, if San Marino go 1-0 up in that game, I'm going to be honest, this is not patriotic, that's very good news for me as the commentator. You know, people are not going to tune away. They go, oh my God, San Marino have taken the lead against Ireland. You know, what's going to happen next? And that drama is what you want to be part of. Now, obviously, if Republic of Ireland are playing Brazil... And Republic of Ireland go one nil up. It's it's the same idea, you know. I don't want Brazil to beat them seven nil, not because I'm Irish. It's because well, that's that's not an entertaining watch. There's no there's no jeopardy there at all. So that's the best way I could describe it. Is it? I actually think as a commentator, I am quite selfish. I I, I do want the little team to do well against the big team yeah. because that's more newsworthy. That's more interesting. Correct. You know, you know, cup games are the best example of it. If you've got a you know a potential giant killing. No one wants to see the giant kill the you know slay the the minnow because that's that's not interesting that that's what should happen and what you want is whoa I can't believe this is happening so you know I don't think bias is the right word but the, you know that, that's the sort of leaning towards something you'd be you'd be pleased that this is how it you know if at halftime the big team are one nil down that's good news for the for, for the whole production if you like and. And I think, honestly, and I'm not saying it just because you're here, Peter, like, I think Peter's one of the best at doing this, that, uh, you know, when Peter's at a game, you can tell he's very excited to be there and not in a, I'm hyping it up and I'm, I'm you know, turning a, a sow's ear into a silk purse. But it's like, you know, there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now. I'm engaged and I'm interested in this game. And I think sometimes you get the feeling with commentators like, well, I have a big one coming up on Saturday, but this is my sort of tick the box game here tonight. And it's like, no, that's not good enough. You know, come on, you're oh, there. Great. So many people are, are relying on, on, on the information you're imparting. And at the very least, you've got to be, you know, absorbed by the, by the subject. And I think, I think that's something Peter genuinely does very, very well. 
Well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Uh, but what, even before you were so flattering and kind to me, I, I was going to say that um, absolutely you identify the point. And the point is that what we love, and, and maybe th this can lead to perceptions of, of preconceived you know, narratives or whatever, what we love is a narrative. We've got a story to tell. And going right back to the start of the conversation about preparation, I always leave aside at the end of it all all of the dull numbers leave aside if you can 20 minutes if they exist to think on the morning of the game what's this all about so whether it is what you might consider Connor and and you are right to eschew there's a posh word that we shouldn't use um the the idea of a box ticked game you know I've got to do this one there's a bigger one tomorrow if it's a game like that you think you know that exercise is all the more important so you've got a game between two teams that don't particularly excite you, but you know that both of those have supporters who really care about it. And sit down and spend 20 minutes thinking, what is the essence of this game? What is the story? Why, why is it relevant? Why do the supporters of XYZ get out of bed this morning and think, oh, we're playing them today? And if you can get inside that kind of um, headspace, I think it enables you to be enthusiastic about any given game. I think that I've, I've heard you say that before, Peter, and I think that is uh, right up there with the very best bits of advice that you could give to anyone aspiring to do what we do, because there's so much stuff that you can get bogged down in, but you've got to make sure that at, at one point or another, the blinkers come off and you appreciate what's at stake for the two teams and their supporters in this contest, not just what's at stake for you and your employers for whom you are working and, and for whom you want to deliver the best possible job. You've got to take into account what the audience wants as well. Look, I, I want to, if, I, if, it's, if you can indulge us into a little bit of a commentator's huddle here, I had a, a, a question for each of you um, that I, I felt that you might be able to offer a, a particular areas of expertise on. Uh, Connor, Peter and I have commentated on other sports, but you at the moment commentate regularly on other sports. You just finished a weekend of Rugby Union Awesome Internationals. You do the golf for the BBC. How does commentating on football, considering its, its popularity, its status as our primary sports, compare to, to commentating on, on other sports? Mm. Well, I think, first of all, it's mechanics and language. Um, the sports you mentioned, like in... When you, when you commentate on, on football, everything is yards. You know, it's 10 yards mm. outside the penalty area, the 18-yard line, you know, the, the, the wall is to retreat the 10 yards, that, that, that kind of stuff. And then when you do rugby, it's all meters. And, and it's only a small little calculation, but that's something that, ha you know, if you start talking yards in rugby, it's just, it's just all wrong. And it's not that people won't understand, you know, they'll get it, but that's just not the language used. Mm. And, and in golf, forget it, it's, you know, the feet, feet and yards, you know, 70 yards off the green, you, you don't really use meters. And that, that would confuse people in golf. Um, and and I think I've often thought about that myself. It's like before a game, you go, God, you know, if a guy gets sent off, don't say they're down to 10 men, you know, they're down to 14 mm. men, you know, these little things. But <laughs> but it's funny how you've a fear of that happening before the game. But during it, it I mean, and again, touch wood here, but it, it doesn't tend to happen. You you, you, know, you get absorbed in, in what the event is. For me, I love... I love the whole idea of using a different part of your brain. And I genuinely think it refreshes me. And the, the best example I can give is if you have a hard week in work and say you're an accountant or say you're a lawyer or whatever, and you have books to read through and you have reports to make and whatever. And, and your kind of relief from that might be to go out and, and run a marathon, you know, so you will be, so that's a different type of hard work, but it's different. And it's like, if, if you, if you tried to do another few hours work, you wouldn't be able to do it, but you could go out and run for two hours you know, and, and then almost when you come back to your work, you're refreshed again. And that's the best analogy I can give for, you know, we, we, I, I do an awful lot of football, but it's really nice some weekends and it feels like a weekend off to go and do another sport. And then you come back refreshed to the football again. Um, th th there's, 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 there's different, you know, things to it. And, and obviously, you know, golf is all in, down in this level and he's just on the edge, you know, and that's really nice. This is oh, different. So if you come in football like that, it would sound ridiculous, you know. <laughs> so it, it is just nice to use use different tools in the toolbox. Um, and as I said, so far, I haven't mixed them up yet. <laughs> and, and Peter, for you, we are experiencing in, in broadcasting extraordinary times, uh, rapid changes in terms of, of dynamic and a diversification of, of the faces and, and voices that we're seeing across our, our televisions and, and radio stations. 
Have you noticed fads and fashions changing in commentary as, as what the audience expects of you, your employers expect of you changed over the years? And, 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 and if so, where do you see it going next? First of all, Steve, I think it's, um, of course, absolutely right and reflective of the time mm. that we live in, that, that we do have this diversification. Mm. Um, and, and I'm actually really excited to be uh, a part of that. And 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 to speak with and hopefully help um, those who are who are coming through, um, and and that's all good. Having said which, uh, I also have to accept that um, I am the age, the gender, the type of person that I am, and I am who I am. Um, and so there may come a time when my time's over because of because of the way things move. In the meantime. I think I've always said you can only be authentic. You can only be yourself. If you try to be something you're not, then you're going to be found out pretty quickly. I love doing my job in the way that I was sort of taught how to do it quite a long time ago now. You know, I, I, um, I grew up in BBC radio 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And, and I sort of stick, um, to the principles that I learned then, um, whilst accepting that those principles don't necessarily apply to everyone and nor should they anymore. You know, I, I still won't call England we, but yeah. because Brian Butler didn't call England we. Now that that's, that's maybe stupid, perhaps I'm a dinosaur, but that's what I learned. And I, I learned about, um, you know, it was it was about voice and it was about language and, and all of that. Uh, and so I'm not trying to be pompous. I'm not trying to pretend to be someone I'm not. That That's just how I learned to do it. And when it's time for that completely to be swept away, I'll be swept away. And I'm, I'm excited to hear other people doing it in a different way. And I'm not in any sense judgmental. And and I'm thrilled that it it's um, it's all developing in the way that it it is. Um, so there you are. That is an extremely long-winded answer. Um, <laughs> Do you, you've got no concern about the direction of the tide picking you up just yet, Peter? Don't, don't. <laughs> well, whatever. We, we do we do have to let you go, Peter, because Juventus against Chelsea is calling you. But um, a, fi a final point to, to both of you, if that's okay. And and you mentioned language, Peter, and you and you mentioned um, something that piqued my interest in terms of we we have often spoke about about the craft of commentating. The com commentators aren't there to just be wallpaper. They aren't there to just say what's going on. They are there to articulate it in a way that is informative, yes, engaging, yes, but also involves some sort of craft. The reason that we wanted to speak to both of you is because you are, and whether it's because because it is old-fashioned, Peter, I don't know, but because you are exponents of the art of commentary. You are, you are those that display craft. And when we think about, you know, Peter, the Costas Manolas goal, when when you have a moment like that 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 you that you feel requires something more than just saying what has happened how do you approach that it is is it all completely instinctive or do you think now i have to use the breadth of my knowledge my language my understanding to be able to deliver something that is effective and represents the significance of the moment. And if you're going to, if you tell me it's all completely instinctive, I will be very angry. <laughs> well, okay, I won't then, Hugh. Um, no, be I, honest, be honest, be honest. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the, the, I mean, the truth is, it sort of is actually, um, because again, you know, I don't want to talk to you like someone who doesn't know because you do know, but but um, when when you speak to 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 people who are interested in the trade and ask these questions. You know, do you write stuff down? And, and my answer is always I write stuff down for everything that comes up to the first whistle and everything after the final whistle sort of thing. Because if you try and script something that happens in the game, it ain't going to happen the way you thought it was going to happen. And however clever you thought you'd been in the hotel room the night before, um, it just, you know, I, I refer you to the Aguero goal, for instance, the Aguero goal. Mm. I think everybody, and I did that game for the international audience, everybody who turned up at that, game would probably have had given some thought to what they were going to say at the final whistle when Manchester City, as they absolutely certainly were going to beat QPR. That was a <laughs> given 
that was a given. So be ready for Vincent Company lifting the trophy. But if you had prepared something for a winning Manchester City goal, it wouldn't have done. And you would have looked stupid if you delivered it. And people very kindly ask about that Manolas goal, which was a bit of a freak at a night when my planets aligned. And that, and, and essentially, I was in extremely relaxed mode that night because Barcelona were obviously going to win. Messi was playing. I was in the Olympic Stadium. What wasn't to like? Everybody else was watching Liverpool against Man City. And really, it only occurred to me to become excited when Roma got to within one goal. And then, yes, a little light bulb did go on in my head thinking, do you know what, if they score another one here, this is going to be a thing. Um, but, you know, um, it could have gone horrendously wrong, really, because I was uninhibited because I assumed no one was watching. Uh, and so that kind of that that slightly weird series of words came out and, and it seemed to resonate. So that's a lovely thing. But uh, as I always say, and, and the other guys will absolutely identify with this. If you get a moment, if you get one of those great moments, it ain't you who scored the goal. You know, nobody, nobody tuned in for you in for the football match and you were the lucky guy who was sat there in a very good seat watching it and if you find some words that fit lovely and don't forget there are plenty of other occasions when goals go in and you shout the name and everybody's happy and we all go home and nobody remembers it but they remember the goal and so it's it's uh it's just uh what's the old-fashioned word i'm looking for happenstance <laughs> uh, that's that's what it is and, you know, where where um, opportunity hits you in the face. And if you're lucky, it sort of comes off. Yeah, you don't want to eschew the happenstance, do you, Peter? That's very important. <laughs> that you don't do. Listen, uh, we'll, I'll ask Connor the same question in a moment, but I, I want to be able to let you go, Peter. You've been uh, wonderful to give us time on a busy prep day. And we've learned exactly what the rest of your day entails. So we know that you have to get back to it. Uh, so, Peter, thank you so I'm much. I'm so sorry to have to dash you. And I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Really Thanks good to, to see talk, you, Peter. folks. I'm, Peter, I'm just glad that he he now understands that we are busy at times other than doing games. He doesn't believe it. <laughs> doesn't believe it when I tell him so it's, it's, it's easy it's great that you've come in to hammer home the point just get a four color biro and write a few things down the things are sorted <laughs> Connor just on that point because it, it, it genuinely bringing my own experience to bear here is ridiculous but I remember starting off as a commentator and not preparing for big moments in case they happened and then found myself missing out on perhaps something relevant that might be part of that big moment and then I ended up overcorrecting and probably over preparing for a big moment that might happen and then focusing too much on that instead of just seeing what I saw and, and saying it to people so there is there is genuinely is there not a a consideration about how best to to think about ahead of time the possibility that there might be something big happening yeah the, the only thing is and I, I I want to be like so clear and honest here this is a difficult sort of subject to to give in one sort of sentence because there's so many layers to this but um you can't. The reason we all love football so much is the the so many different slightly, you know, there's no two goals the same. There's no two matches the same. There's no two anything's the same. And and when I've listened over the years, the, the, the say, commentary, you know, goal moment, big moments that I feel, you know, when I listen back and I feel, oh, I'm really happy with that, like I did that well, like genuinely never would have been scripted. And and the once or twice, and, and you know, it's even difficult to think of good examples of this. And it's not that you write out, oh, Aguero scored a great goal. But I remember, I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember there was one Mother's Day and I was doing a game Tottenham. And for whatever reason, it got in my head before the game. Oh, son, mothers. Ah, ooh, I could do something with that, blah, blah, blah. And I was doing it for a match of the day and son scored a goal and I did some line about Mother's Day and son delivered, whatever it was. But I was I was trying to, you know, put the IKEA furniture together. You know, <laughs> I had all the parts, but I didn't have the instructions. And I was and obviously for people who don't know, you know, match of the day, we commentate on the full 90 minutes of the game and the guys back in the studio watching it was it was obviously a Sunday game, so it was Chappers and Chappers texted me after he goes, that sun line was dreadful. You know, and it's <laughs> it's that to me is is why we don't do this. You know, you can make a very good argument to say, okay, there's there's something there and you could make that work. But because I'm trying to make it work, it doesn't come out natural. I think the if you want to talk about preparation, here's what it is for me. When the big thing happens, take a breath. You know, I think often, in, and then, you know, this is me being a, a snob now on this, but I think when I'm listening in the radio or the or TV and when a big moment happens and when a commentator kind of loses it, 
And you kind of, whoa, I, I don't know what you're saying now. And, and funny enough, and I absolutely have done that myself. And what's funny is when I do that, and people go, oh, that was great, great passion. And you you clearly love it. But I don't like that. I just think anyone can scream and roar. That's the kind of fan cam thing they used to have. You know, we've scored. But I think if the big, big moment happens, you take a little pause and then you deliver your line. And I think that little pause, that little, you know, reset composure thing is what, you know, I feel has been successful. So because the, the stadium's going mental, the players are going mental. If you can come out with one line that's kind of delivered in a measure tone, you, you come across all sort of Yoda like because you're, you know, everything else is going bananas, but you're keeping your cool. And I think funny enough, that's that's probably the advice I would give to people more than anything else. In this. And I'm really glad you said that because I, I again, have often banged on about the fact that if, if you listen to quite a lot of um, American commentators, whatever sport it is, they they let that go, that pause, they let that go for, for the like almost until the first replay. So that that is because the story is the crowd reaction and the pictures that are being put out on the screen to tell you what's happening. And St- Stephen, you, you will appreciate that that is exactly what we've spoken about. Sometimes less is more, but particularly at the moment where you think more is the most important. Yes. Yeah, and I think Connor and Peter have both struck a chord on, on two really critical elements of, of the craft, of the art, if you want to be grandiose about it. As Peter said, authenticity however much you can admire your peers and be inspired by them, if you're not delivering a commentary in your own voice, if you're trying to replicate somebody else, it's not going to come across authentically. And I think the audience will recognise that. And Connor, as, as you were just saying, if you're not able to rise above the moment as you're also getting swept along with it, then again, you you just lose that little bit of clarity that is your responsibility to deliver. Yeah, so that pause, I, that moment's breath is, is absolutely vital. And I, I give an example. One of my favorite things in sport is um, the, the after a big event, uh, the front page of L'Equipe. And I'm always like, you know, Google Translate, what does it mean? But they'll always have the picture of the big moment and they'll have usually one word or just yeah. a little expression. And I always think, you know, it's really clever. It just sums it up. I remember, I mean, this is so long ago, but I remember being in Paris when France won the World Cup in 1998. And the next day it was por eternity. It was like for eternity, like that this, this just matters forever. And it's like, you know, and I always like the idea of, you know, they obviously come up with a few ideas and how do they decide what's the one we're going to go with? And, you know, the editor ultimately goes, right, that's what we're going with. But I always say, like, there is no way at the moment it happened that they go, well, that's that's going to be the Lakeep line. You know, they, they've, they've had an hour to think about it and then, okay, we're going to press now. Yeah, that's what we're going to go with. And I always think on, on a much reduced level, that's what your commentary moment is, that you want to say this, you know, I'm going to say the inverted commas that, you know, a profound thing, or you want to say mm. something that, that sums up the context, not the, not the emotion of the moment, but how this is going to live, you know, after this moment, what, 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 what did it mean? What was the feeling at the time rather than being rushed away? And I think it's very difficult to get that immediately, but, but that's what you've to aspire to is camp for a moment. What does this mean? And that's, you know, that's really, you know, so that it started, you know, the season's up. I always remember when I was a kid, and John Motson had an opening day of the season. I think it was a West Ham goal. And they might have gone 1-0 down, but they came back to win the game. And when he scored the goal, and he's just his line was, the season's really up and going now. And I was like, that's going to be used on promos and trails and everything. You know? And again, there's no way he's planned that. That's just what's come out because he felt at the moment, yeah, we're up and going. We're driving now. And that's, that, that's what you aspire to have. And, and that's interesting because that, that is the essential conflict between what the commentator feels they should be providing the audience and what some of, not all the audience, but what some of the audience feels the commentator should be doing for them. So there will be loads of people who say, why didn't you get more excited about that? Because they support the team that have scored the goal, but that is not your role. And so this is the essential thing of allowing, if you allow the pictures and the crowd to do that for you, then the commentator doesn't have to they then sit one step back and provide the context to allow those other people who aren't necessarily emotionally engaged or as emotionally engaged as fans of one of those two teams to be able to provide them with something so everybody gets something and yet those that and we started the conversation like this those loudest on social media will want you connor and you stephen to provide them with what they need and then when you don't that offers to them some sort of implicit bias or some sort of narrative structure that they don't agree with and it's and it's fascinating because that conflict lives with us now on a daily basis 
I, I find it very difficult in the in the behind closed doors era because what you don't realize is commentators, you know, the big goal goes in. You're not like, oh yeah, <laughs> here we go, get the focal cord. I'm going to be excited now. You know, what it is is that the you know, you've been speaking at a level, but so you're not really hearing yourself because everything else is so loud. So you naturally shout louder. And, and that's you know the whole idea of a commentator. But when the state but then you get very used to that. And then when the stadium's empty, you're oh, it's a goal. It's actually really quiet in here. I don't need to be speaking this high level. And that, but it, it makes you realize it's not that it's artificial. It's the analogy I give is, is surfing. You know, if you're on a surfboard and there's no wave, you sink. If you stand at the surfboard, there is a wave. You ride on top of it, and that's what, you, as a commentator, you ride on the crowd noise, and that's what keeps you up. I think on the, on the you know, you, you've mentioned a few times now about the social media stuff. Um, I remember I think it was Ian Crocker put a tweet. Someone was giving him dogs abuse about you know his bias of whatever he did. And he said, you know, he said, what you've got to realize is that that you, the, the ardent fan who's angry on social media, you are massively biased. You know, you want your team to win at all costs. And 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 exactly when it doesn't go your way, then you're you're disappointed and you don't understand and whatever have it. But the commentator that it's not that the commentator is biased, it's that you're so biased that you wanted one side of it. But Look, it, it it is what it is. I think you, you do the best job you can. I think, you know, Peter, who we've had on today, I think John Murray's another great example of it, that they come across as just being such reasonable gentlemen. I'd be really surprised if anyone thinks that they have an agenda against, the, you know, because they're just... Your Honor, these are the facts, you know, and, and I think yes. that's that's very helpful to them. And I think it's when, when people come across as having the potential to be swayed, that's when the suspicions grow deeper. So if you've learned nothing from this podcast, if you are an, either an aspiring commentator or wanted to learn just a little bit about how the job is done, remember this, the best thing that you can have going for you is to be nice. Oh, <laughs> as it turns out with Peter and John, tall. Yeah, well, definitely, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Very much so, yes. And and also and in Connor, longevity in the game, which you earn through excellence, also gives you that trust with the audience, isn't it? I think that's that's why the likes of Peter and Martin Tyler pick up the awards, don't they? Why they are revered by the the audience, John Murray, as well, is because they've been doing it for so long at such a high level that the audience trusts them. They effectively they are the recognisable soundtrack mm. to what they enjoy. It would be like taking the music away from Star Wars and putting another equally good soundtrack <laughs> over the top of it. It just wouldn't work, yeah, exactly. even if it, it was in itself recognisable in a different way. It, it ebbs and flows, and, it, and it, it's an important, the, 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 orally to the audience, it's so important those things that they recognise are there. And it's, and it's important to finish on this note that if you think that longevity and um, respect in the commentary world is garnered from being just a genuinely nice fellow, then remember this, listeners, when Connor and John Murray get together at the Football Supporters Association Awards uh, on Monday, the 29th of November, if you are to be in the room, you will not leave the room thinking any of those things about them. Uh, <laughs> Connor, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for thank joining you so us. Much, guys. I mean, big, genuinely. Big fan of set piece menu now. Oh, as I said to Steve, this is one of my bucket lists now to be on this. So thank you very much. Which, <laughs> which makes us wonder just how big uh, Connor's bucket is. But <laughs> great to see you. Thanks so much for Thanks, joining guys. us. So there you go, Connor and Peter. Our thanks to them uh, for joining us. Um, as we mentioned on many occasions, a very, very busy time. Um, it just remains for us to remind the audience about something incredibly significant uh, for the podcast coming up on Thursday, the 16th of December. This is our live show in London. Now, Stephen, I haven't been to London for... Ever. Ever. No, this is very exciting. I'm the little boy from up in Manchester. Like and I'm it. getting on a big train and I'm going down the tracks and seeing what the big smoke's like. There's uh, museums, palaces, with gold, yes. parks. And yes. we'll do all of those things, I'd imagine. Um, but I, I have not been to, uh, to London for, for now close to two years because, you know. And it occurs to me that... I would like my return to London, apart from for the uh, Football Supporters Association Awards, which will be a very, very brief visit um, and not at all, you know, drunken or celebratory. Um, well, actually, the first one, definitely not. The it'll, be a, it'll be A, not, not B. But uh, I, would, I would like to celebrate uh, a little arrival back in the big smoke for reasons that are legitimate with 
a, a, a throng of people at the Courtyard Theatre on Thursday, the 16th of December. So I would like to remind you that it is an incredibly important day for us. And it is our fifth anniversary show. And we would love you to come and celebrate that with us, drunkenly or not, on Thursday, the 16th of, uh, of December at the Courtyard Theatre. Now, do you feel like I've done enough to pull on the heartstrings of those people wavering about whether they might want to join us or not? Yeah, that, that feels as though it might be bordering on psychological manipulation. Excellent, good. That's, but, that's what I'm uh, going for. That's, that, it's definitely a legitimate means of publicity. So, yeah, use it. Work, work with what you've got, Hugh. Get a, get a ticket or I will cry. How about that? Uh, myticket.co.uk. Just search for Set Piece Menu when you get onto the main website. Or you can click on the link that we have in the blurb for the podcast or indeed on our social media pages too. Myticket.co.uk is where you need to get uh, your ticket for the Courtyard Theatre. They cost £22.50 plus a booking fee on Thursday the 16th of December. It is our very special live show in London celebrating five years of Set Piece Menu. It will feature a new scene from the Jack Reachcliffe Chronicles involving a fifth part to be played by a member of the audience. There will also be more stories from Andy Hinchcliffe after dark. That's all to come. Myticket.co.uk. Search for Set Piece Menu when you get onto the website or click on any of the links available via the places where you got this podcast from. Keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Buy the merch as well. We haven't even mentioned that at any point during the podcast, which is an extraordinary thing. You can bring it to the live show just to prove how much of a lovely person you are. That's at tpublic.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen and particularly today uh, to Connor and Peter and you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I feel like I feel like I've got about one percent of iPhone battery left on my voice. And I should also point out that whilst, whilst we won't have rail seating at the live show, unlike Premier League football, we will be encouraging you to drink in your seat. So if, drink in your seat if that and- swings things in your if, if that swings things for you, that, that we're here to help. And and please do, you know, feel free to stand by way of ovation uh, at any point. We're not going to expect you to do it with an approaching chance, for example, just in case you, you, you've got somebody who's six foot four and sat in front of you or standing in front of you. But yeah, I think, I think no Mexican waves though, as uh, both Rory and I absolutely detest. Um, but, uh, but yeah, standing ovations, I think that's fair to expect. Is it not?